blast off. Team Rocket, here we go. At the speed of light, exactly. Wicka, 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 wicka. Welcome back. It's the Hex Drinkers Podcast. <laughs> that was a hot one. Chev, uh, what, what episode is it, Chev? It, oh, it's episode it's 22. 22. I don't know about you, but I'm feeling 22. But Julian, you're Thank old. Thank you. Awesome. You're 24. I know, but uh, I just. Chev, what are you, 13 <laughs> at this point? Get out of here. Yeah, I mean, I love Taylor Swift, so I'm a, I'm a teenage girl at heart. Uh, but anyway, I'm Julian. I'm joined by Eric. Hello. Oak. What up? And Chev. Yep. And we're a longtime playgroup joining the multiverse in the hopes of leveling up both our game and yours. So we're uh, we're back to normalish things. We got the the hellish insanity, the hot takes out of our system. We got through the 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 jubilant exaltation of our first listener submitted deck. Zach Patty, uh, Chev, what are we doing this week? This week, we're bringing some love to to some some corners of the Magic universe that haven't seen love recently. In preparation for this, we each picked two of our favorite mechanics that might have fallen by the wayside in recent years, and we're going to kind of give them a hype pitch try and revitalize them and talk about how they could be brought back into the magic uh, universe. I feel like people don't realize just how many mechanics there are so many. Wizards of the Coast has put out over the nearly three decades that they've had this game out. And yeah, there are so many that are just for one set or one block. Mm-hmm. And some of them you look at, especially recently, now that they've been doing like one set per thematic thing. Right. Yeah. And there's like eight cards with a single mechanic and i'm like what what am i supposed to do with this here as a commander you can't player just have one one mechanic per set either you, you have like four mechanics per set like the next time we see foretell or lessons is probably going to be you know years from now if ever if if ever yeah, yeah. unless we go specifically back to these places or in the case of the ravnica or recent ravnica sets uh five mechanics <laughs> per mm-hmm. set <laughs> one per yeah. guild that was a bold move <laughs> yep. yeah I think they, they brought back, like, I think one or two mechanics. That's true. But, but, yeah, eight new ones. And they're all just, like, slight iterations on each other, which makes it harder to find a place for adapt versus evolve versus... Yeah. That was another thing that I was noticing when I was looking through all the mechanics to, to do our, our setup for this. And I was like, these are just... Why are these different things? They're just so... The evolve versus the right. adapt versus... I was looking at uh, stuff from, like, Shadowmore and... Uh, eventide and stuff and there was like chroma which literally is just, it's just devotion but it's just devotion is specific to theros because gods and stuff you know what i mean but like chroma is just the same thing i'm like ah ah i didn't even see that one that's what's what's the difference between evolve and monstrosity i can't honestly remember uh you mean adapt and monstrosity adapt yeah adapt yeah they're very close um i think in the mtg wiki article it even says like these are very similar <laughs> Yeah, I think something I can know. still become monstrous if it has counters on it already. Oh, right, and and if adapt is like specifically if it has counters on it, you, can't you get the it. ability of the adapt because it cares about counters, but it doesn't. Yeah, okay, good. I'm glad we have such specific niche effects. Yeah, adapt is well, like I mean, a one-off. Yeah, right, right. We're lucky that those have been like in the last like you know two or three years of us being around because, God forbid, you ask me about some some random mechanic from alliances and i'm like oh god what is you know what is what is this banding ban- yeah julian tell me about the band this is not the banding podcast tell you about the banding? this isn't the advocate for banding back <laughs> i think um i think next week's podcast will just be us explaining banding just so people know um, as long as we can call it bringing the band back together i'm actually if we're doing it. a podcast about one mechanic it should be about how layers work so that i can finally understand how layers work um, have the reference yeah i was gonna say i thought we were supposed to be the the authority on this like we were supposed to actually know how they work right no like, i just you, want you guys to teach me how layers work like when you guys explained why some of the cards had time shifted borders yeah well i don't i don't <laughs> know how layers work so i guess oh can that'll explain be that'll us. be a research but i feel like we're getting off topic here we're, we're just here to talk about underloved mechanics and how awesome they are and you know why they should show up in the near future yeah who wants to talk about their mechanic first? I, I want to talk about my mechanic just because this is a mechanic that only appears on one card in the history of Magic. And that is... Future Sight be doing things like that. I'm talking about Gravestorm, baby. Grave Storm. It's like Storm, but just, you know, a little, 
little nastier. <laughs> a little nastier. So, uh, Gravestorm is a uh, mechanic that appeared in Future Sight. Shocker. And it appears on a singular card, which is a bit or deal, which is two and a black for a sorcery. And it says, search target player's library for a card and exile it. And then uh, it's got Gravestorm, which says, when you cast this spell, copy it for each permanent put into a graveyard this turn. You may choose new targets for the copies. So most Magic players are familiar with the mechanic Storm, uh, which is whenever you cast a spell, copy it for each previous spell. Cast this turn, a uh, very busted and uh, either beloved or hated, hated mechanic. Basically, if you're like a vintage connoisseur, you love Storm, and other than that, you think it's probably pretty crappy. There's this thing called the Storm Scale, which is basically how likely a mechanic is. <laughs> it, I think it's relevant because it's it's basically like, you know, people from Wizards being like, this is how likely, you know, XYZ mechanic is to reappear. And it's literally called this called the Storm Scale because Storm is like, it's like a nine. Stor- storm is like zero. Like, it's just never coming back and they've just... Except it has come back, which is yeah. like really, yeah. But yeah, it's like that Phyrexian mana, like stuff like that. Yeah, I feel like a lot of the things we're going to be talking about have a pretty high Storm Scale rating just because they're hard to put in, but... Um, Julian, I just want to say I love how you wrote in your notes, uh, Storm is whack, but generally degenerate. <laughs> like, those aren't really opposites. <laughs> also, th- this mechanic totally makes me think of, um, like, Rise of the Dreadmarn from the recent, uh, Kaldheim set, which is, like, for each creature that was put into a graveyard this turn, uh, create a 2-2 zombie creature token. Yeah. So that card just had Gravestorm, but it didn't. Sort of. Sort of. Sort of. It didn't I mean, copy it... itself, which is key because it would have been broken with Strixhaven, where you just get to trigger your pledge mage a trillion times. Right. right. And also, oh, and also, boy. Gravestorm. Gravestorm is for all permanents, so it's artifacts, mm. enchantments, whatever. So anyway, I like the idea of Storm. Uh, I like the idea of kind of like building up to like this giant burst of just holy crap. But like I was saying, uh, General Storm. Like, regular Storm is uh, pretty degenerate, and with the amount of things that just, like, generate mana, it's easy to just, like, chain these basically do-nothing spells until you hit whatever. For this, it's much more it's much more specific, and you have to jump through more hoops to really hit it. But I think one of the coolest things that you would be able to do if you brought this mechanic back is it would really work with, like, sacrificial decks. So if you're doing, like, an Aristocrats thing where you're, like, sack a bunch of tokens, play my Gravestorm sorcery thing that's, like, does whatever you know what i mean or if you're playing like a control deck and you're like wrath of god then cast my gravestorm thing because you know eric's playing tokens and i'm like boom gotcha for 20 um you know depending on whatever the effect is or if you're playing against those if i know that chev is like playing an aristocrats deck and he like has like his big turn and i just like instant speed flash in a gravestorm spell and i'm like gotcha got there gotcha you know metagaming against it it's it's much more just kind of like a role player as opposed to this end all be all. Personally, Julian, I feel like if if you're going to do something with an effect that is potentially busted, and you've you've talked about you know how good it is with wraths and things because it's target permanence, I say you got to go all the way since it is in fact target uh, uh, copied for the number of permanents put into graveyards. If you're doing it, you got to do it right. Throw down an obliterate, float the mana for gravestorm, then drop that sucker. Send it. Well, I was kind of talking in just. The more general sense of, like, say Wizards decides that they want to bring back Gravestorm. Wizards, this is why you should bring back Gravestorm. It's mm. it's not inherently busted like Storm. I mean, it, it certainly, anything can be busted when you go infinite, obviously. <laughs> um, but Anything that copies. <laughs> I think the uh, this kind of limit, like, there are only so many permanents that can get put in the graveyard, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and... You'd have to you'd have to really temper this mechanic. I think that you'd have to trend towards more expensive effect, and I think that mm-hmm. there are already established archetypes that, that it would fit into nicely. Though I don't know if you'd be able to build like a Gravestorm tribal deck. I feel like you'd probably have like three or four Gravestorm cards in your whatever else deck. Yeah, this definitely seems like something you'd see in like a commander precon or a one-off every like four or five years as opposed to because I can't imagine the design space is that large. But that shouldn't stop the development of the effect. It just means that, like, you have to be very careful where you include it. I I, I would agree. And in terms of the development of the effect, Julian, if, if you were if you were in charge of development of Gravestorm, 
would you keep it as a mono black mechanic or would you would it, you allow it to push into other colors potentially white being the color that interacts with the graveyard the second most um he wants that stuff for his tokens I, i'm just curious because like gravestorm sounds like a black effect but mm-hmm. you're right you're just right. the word grave <laughs> um i don't know i would like it to branch out now that you're saying it thematically i don't know if it would work and um you know i was looking i was like well when when might gravestorm be a thing and i was like well basically any set that cares about the graveyard could have like a gravestorm right or anything that's like spooky and i was like oh well we're going back to innistrad like maybe they could do redo gravestorm but like i'm immediately just like gravestorm get a tutu zombie you know what i mean like that that would be a black effect i'm trying to think hear me out gravestorm go get a basic land we put it in green oh that sounds (laughs) that sounds horrible um (laughs) that's terrible sack all your tokens just get all your lands (laughs) i feel like white could actually be pretty good because there are a lot of i mean even with lorehold there has been a lot of stuff with white and also into like borosi lorehold whatever over the past few years of them kind of doing like this constant churn between battlefield hand graveyard so if you did sort of like a like i'm immediately thinking um gerard weatherlight hero or like second Mm -hmm. sunrise if you were doing stuff like that and doing more sacrificial stuff uh, you could definitely have like a cool gravestorm card in white. I don't know what it would be. Maybe like I don't know, make a one-one, like make a one-one soldier. I like the idea of making like making spirits sounds like a gravestorm kind of effect of like, oh yeah, yeah, like, sacked all of your permanents, the, like yeah. make a bunch of one-one spirits with flying or like yeah, that makes sense it, on the on the level of dragon storm, like a nine mana card that's like gravestorm, make a four-four angel. Mm-hmm. Gravestorm, well, I guess this would be counterproductive. I was going to say, like, Gravestorm, like, reanimate something. But I guess that would be productive since all your stuff just went <laughs> to the Unless, <laughs> unless <laughs> you, uh, I mean, I guess that would be cool if you play a Wrath and then we're able you to, You steal like... everybody else's stuff. Oh, that's bad. I meant more just bring <laughs> back, like, if we're doing the white effect, like, we've seen white in recent years doing things like return creature to the battlefield that went to the graveyard this turn. If you had, like, Gravestorm for a single creature for that effect and you're able to kind of wrath and then bring your own forces back but you're kind of capped at whatever was a in your graveyard or b because like like you've mentioned on a lot of these cards they have to be very very careful because anything that could have multiple 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 copies could get out of hand very fast so having another way to cap the effect seems like the best way to bring it back in um a normal setting so like having it limited to the number of creatures that left or having it limited to your own graveyard or these other things that make it a more controlled effect as opposed to Graves Gone Wild. I like Yeah, that. maybe. I don't know. Yeah. Um, Julian doesn't like it. Julian wants to blow up the board with shenanigans. I think it's okay. I don't know. I don't I don't think we'll be seeing any Gravestorm anytime soon. If they did do it, <laughs> it would be in something like a, probably something in like a, like a Modern Horizons. They'd have like two Gravestorm cards, you know. And then they'd have to ban them or something in, in modern, <laughs> I don't know. But uh, another theme of Modern Horizons was they actually did some spirit tribal. And Eric, you know you know some stuff about spirits. Do you want to talk to us about uh, that? Yeah, and, and specifically uh, the disrespect put onto a mechanic in a Modern Horizons set. Splice onto. Disrespect. Uh, splice onto uh, was originally splice onto Arcane. They realized, like, right before the set went to print, hey, that's a terrible idea, and limits this mechanic forever to be on only this plane. They then said, oh, we're going to come back to it, a splice onto instant or sorcery. And they tried to come back like to it like two times, and they're like, oh, we're not doing it well enough. Oh, we're not doing it well enough. Like, we're not living up to the hype. And they finally came back to splice onto, with splice onto instant or sorcery in Modern Horizons, where they... Uh, they absolutely There's disrespected cards, it right? and made it not live <laughs> up to the hype. What what is the card? Everdream and Everdream. There's one with like golems, and, right? Uh yes, Everdream and Splicer's Skill are like fine cards with Splice on Instant or Sorcery. And those were the only two cards that have Splice on Instant or Sorcery. So they were like, Hey, we finally did it. We came back to it. And they didn't do it very well. <laughs> <laughs> it might be more of like a dipping their toe in the water kind of thing, like seeing how these effects sort of play out as a, a sign of Hopefully, more more of your favorite thing in the future, Eric. But if you were to to bring it back, how would you do it differently? Wait, I'm sorry. Maybe maybe I just like actually just my brain just went to a black hole. But Eric, did you explain what splice onto is? No, I did not. Splice onto oh, is an effect where as you play a card that matches the onto description, so either an arcane spell for most of it, or for these other two, any instant or sorcery, 
uh, you can pay an alternative cost, and as you play that spell, you add all the text on the spliced card onto the original by just revealing the spliced card from your hand. So, oh, so, so it, it functions as, so say I have an arcane spell that's just like, it's lightning bolt, right? I play lightning bolt, and then I can pay an extra cost, which I think usually is less than the cost of the other card that can be spliced. Usually more, uh, because you aren't spending the card as a resource. The, you get to keep oh, the card in your card. hand. Okay, so I pay that extra cost, and then now all of a sudden the spell that's on the stack is lightning bolt plus make a 1-1 spirit, or whatever that other card mm -hmm. is. Yeah, gain three life, huh. destroy target artifact or enchantment. So it's a really interesting decision-making kind of card. It's very comparable to buyback, but I think it, it offers a lot different there because you can splice a bunch of cards onto one card and be like, I have put all of my eggs on in this basket, and then someone hits you with one counter spell and all of your mana is gone. And then Julian's and in your pot, cry. and then you just get Yeah, started. I was going to say. Well, I mean, I guess it's cool because you don't put the other cards at risk, but if you're... You're souped up. Yeah, if you put all your eggs in that one basket and that gets countered, you probably you wasted a lot of mana, although you only lost a singular card. Yeah. Which is interesting, as opposed to buyback, you still could it still could just count get countered or fizzled, and even though you paid that mana, you don't actually get it back. Yeah. I wonder if there's a space for like cards that can't be countered and then just splicing onto those. Like Autumn's Veil or whatever we got that said like it can't be countered by blue or black spells or something like that and just splice everything onto it. <laughs> like yeah, splice yeah, splice this card can't be countered and then it's just like if you, Ooh, if you that would that, be super cool yeah just basically we a it's card kind that of like mutate nothing. but with spells yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, that's actually exactly no. i like that Th that's, i like that comparison yeah that is the whole thing is it's mutate with spells and i think that's just a really cool design space in our hot takes episode i said wizards needs to do more cool things they have complete control of the rules they have all of this design space, and I think Splice Onto was a super cool mechanic where you said, I'm going to put like text from all these cards together into this one super card, and it's a lot of decision-making like, oh, do I want to spend the extra mana and risk it getting countered two for one, or do I want to just cast these spells separately, save myself some mana, but expend more resources? There's just a lot of thought that I think goes into, do I want to splice this card? much more than I'm going to tap this creature and put a 1-1. One, one. Like, I'm going to bolster this creature. Or, like, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. Actually, bolster's not a great example because you need to know if you want to block with that creature or not. But there's a lot of mechanics that are very simple and straightforward that I think I'm just kind of neutral on, and I'd much rather see Splice on to come back. I honestly think this could come back in any set. I think it would do best in a non-standard product. Because that's where they like to test things. That's where they like to push the boundaries a little more. But I don't see a reason that this should be limited to any plane or anything. You know what would be cool? I think when we inevitably get more payoff for the Phyrexians, if we have like a new Phyrexia set, I would love to see this in that set. Um, mm -hmm. Just because like Splice and I think there's like there's a, a cycle-ish of creatures that are called like the Splicers that are all Right, that create the golems yeah. with certain effects. Like if you had Splice onto... And I mean, you could you could theoretically just make it splice onto instant or sorcery or like splice onto Phyrexian or something. Splice onto Splicer. Yeah, or <laughs> so, yeah, something. But like, <laughs> but like, imagine if that set was just like they brought back mutate and they had splice onto for like instants and sorceries. Ooh, that just would be real whole, cool. That'd be like completing all your stuff. Yeah, just getting crazy with it, making the perfect versions of all these spells. I really yeah. like that as an idea. That would be super cool. Wizards, once again, we know you're listening. <laughs> We want a we want a, a producer credit. You're making me want to change my second mechanic from the one that it is to tribal instants and sorceries. I'm not going to, <sighs> but also bring those back. Just for like Phyrexian tribal instants and sorceries, or uh, first off, there are zero dragon tribal instants and sorceries, and that is a level of disrespect. Eric, I you just will want not to play stand spells for. for cheap with Ur Dragon. Shut I up! To to I know. <laughs> what about the shapeshifter one? That that is the Rimshaw. only one, and I <laughs> yeah, there you go. You you got yours, Eric. It's a good one. It's trash. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, Splice On 2 started in Champions of Kamigawa. Julian, Gravestorm was also from Forever Ago. I think, Oakley, you have a much more recent one for us. Yes? Yes, I do. And, Eric, I know you were just talking about very simple mechanics and not 
liking them as much, so I'm hoping I could change your mind here. I picked ah. two very simple mechanics, and despite being very simple, I think they're both very cool and flavorful, but just also, like, generic enough that they could come back in, like, a very wide range of um, sets or, like... Products? You know, lore or yeah, whatever. Yeah. Different places. <laughs> yeah. Um, maybe even to the point that they could become evergreen. Who knows? Uh, okay, that's a bit of a pipe dream. Oaks, but Oaks dreaming, get crazy. Oaks yeah, dreaming I'm, big this I'm episode. I'm dreaming huge. I'm dreaming huge. So let me talk about first. Um, I, I know way back uh, when we did our uh, custom commanders where we built commanders for each other, someone might have mentioned that that was inspired by me uh, really liking the mechanic of exert. And Eric actually did make me a... Uh, commander, which had exactly that ability, Exert. So let's talk about Exert. It's an ability, uh, like I said, you know, it's just generic enough flavor-wise that it could be a keyword, but it's kind of stuck on the plane of a monket. For those who don't know what it does, maybe you weren't around for that plane, but uh, is essentially uh, a modified whenever this creature attacks effect. It is whenever a creature attacks, you get some effect, and then that creature doesn't untap during its next on tap stuff. So you get to choose if it goes for that extra ability, right? Yes, that's correct. You get to choose to exert it or not. So looking a, like a little bit deeper into like the flavor of what's happening here uh, with this mechanic. This is like a creature putting some e extra e effort into its attack to to like gain that second effect. For example, We've got Combat Celebrant, which is a card that I think is pretty cool. I know Julian doesn't like all that much, uh, but when you exert I don't it, hate it. I just hate it when you play it against me. That's fair. <laughs> um, <laughs> when you exert it, if it's the first time it exerted this turn, you get to ha take an extra combat step after this one. Which And I also believe... Uh, well, yeah, you get to like untap all your creatures. A very typical... like. Uh, take an extra combat uh, step. Uh, extra combat step you yeah, know no big deal yeah. <laughs> um but uh it's cool because it's like you know the, the creature's like putting in some extra effort into the attack and then it has to like rest so if you've ever played like you know like a pokemon game and you ever like hyper beam. enjoyed cast yeah exactly casting a hyper beam or like a giga impact um this is this is the mechanic for you i think so i like that i like that <laughs> Yeah, uh, the reason this effect appears to be stuck on a Monkey is because it was sort of flavored around, like, the creatures going to these extreme lengths to overcome, like, the trials of a Monkey. But I, I feel like this could really fit uh, well into pretty much any set with, like, a warrior, um, yeah. like, guild, essentially. Yeah, I was thinking that, too. Like, Valor's Reach with Battlebond or uh, even Theros, where you've got, like, Akros with all the different, like, you know, warrior Spartan culture and stuff like that. Chev, I was immediately thinking Theros because, like... The whole, like, the Olympics and everything. I, I immediately... Yeah, when when yeah. I hear Exert, I immediately think I'm just like, oh, these dudes are, like, going to the gym. They're f***ing getting their gains. Oh, I gotta bleep that. They're getting their gains, you know? So, like, I'm... Th I, yeah, I'm immediately thinking, like, the, you know, the... Whatever the Olympic equivalent for Theros is, you know? The Iroan Games. Yeah, that oh. one. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> even, even, like, Ikoria, like... You're in a jungle planet, like, filled with monsters and, like, crazy terrain and environment, and, like, sometimes you just have to go the extra mile. Like, I think it's yeah. it's a very adaptable mechanic, and I think it fits well with, like, humanoid races with, like, humanoid lifespans. Like, I don't ever picture an elf really exerting themselves. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, who cares? You have a, a thousand years to live. You're not going to be like, I'm going to try extra hard today. Humans are like, <laughs> I'm going to die by the time I'm 45. Let's really send this one. Yep, exactly. <laughs> I, I think from a mechanical perspective, like like you said, it, it is very flexible. And I feel like it could also be used to make some more, like, whenever this creature attacks effects a little bit more... Uh, balanced, like for example, in mo a very recent set, we had Dracuseth, uh, Maw Flames. You know, seven mana. Okay, that's not cheap uh, by any means, but its uh, attack triggered ability is insane. You get to do four damage to one target and three damage to two other targets. Like that's nuts. For I think um, a example that hits a little bit closer to home, maybe for these guys, uh, printed a while ago, uh, Pathbreaker Ibex. Is that uh got some flat yeah, effects for anyone? Yeah. I would like much that. rather that card exert, but it usually ends the game when it swings anyway. That is true, and but yeah, I I, I figured you might 
have that opinion. So um, they could definitely use it. They could, like, since it's an optional thing as well, you could use it for, like, effects that might have a downside. Like, oh, you lose three life and you, like, draw three cards or something like that. I don't know. That, that, that'd be busted. But, like, uh, you know, it, it it's something that could be, you know, just fleshed out a, a lot more. Um, the, the one thing I'll say about this, and perhaps one thing that's very much holding it back from actually becoming an evergreen, is that it conflicts very heavily with a, another keyword that's been an evergreen for a really long time, which is vigilance. You pretty much can't have a creature that has vigilance and exert, because then the exert just doesn't even matter. And any, of course, enchantments that give creatures vigilance, um, uh, you know, it completely negates that you get a little busted. as well. Yeah. I, I, actually, I actually disagree. I feel like, I don't know, I feel like, like you said, this is like something that they could easily print, and I think it gives an interesting design space because if you want to play a deck that has a lot of exert creatures in it, you kind of have to find ways to be clever about that. So ways to like give creatures vigilance either with like global effects or auras or stuff, you know, like you're, you're putting in that F you're, you're, you're putting in that extra effort. You know, you're, one might even say you're exerting yourself to, uh, to know, you know, make that work or working with things that like untap creatures, things that have like this sort of downside. I always find they're interesting because there's usually ways to, if you, you know, put the extra effort in and like search on Scryfall and like take that time, there's ways to like kind you put of put in uh, the extra effort to go to scryfall.com and sweet, uh, search for well, vigilance. I mean, you gotta, you know, no, not vigilance, but like ways to untap all sorts of stuff. <laughs> Just splice psychic puppetry onto every one of your arcane spells and untap all your creatures. It's very easy. Simple. See, he's got it. Yeah, that's, yeah, but like, who would have ever thought about that? Eric put in that work, you know what I mean? <laughs> that's true i did not know that card existed i don't know what either of those cards do i'm gonna look at my map to this psychic puppetry is not a good card don't play it uh it is one of the few cases where its splice cost is lower than its real cost and i have no idea why <laughs> now chev uh oaks out here exerting he's getting those gains but i know you're in the gym getting those gains too i know you're i hear you're you're fortifying yourself you're really working on that defense Ooh, so I appreciate the transition, but I am not going to say that one right now because that is a ridiculous. So, of course, he's alluding to the effect um, fortify. All right, which well, hold up. Sorry. On one car from let me Sight. let me try, let me try. If you're not going to do it right now, let me try again. <laughs> let me get a, no, I'm another. I'm saving that one because that's that's my favorite one. That's that's my little baby. Well, yeah, no. Brand. What I'm saying is, let me try and get another transition for for surge. Um, <laughs> uh, Lieutenant Surge is buff. He's always in himself and surge. I hate it. And <laughs> talk about it. Surge. All right. So this this mechanic has like such a weird little history, and especially with our play group too, because BFZ is one of the first sets that you know we were around for. And I maybe maybe this is like the Mandela effect kind of working against me a little bit, but I remember when BFZ first came out, they kind of like pushed this idea that it was supposed to be a two-headed giant built set with this idea it's the first time we're seeing the gatewatch kind of come together and so there's this there was this focus on you know building a team and playing together something that we wouldn't see again until like battle bond for example and so the, there's this one mechanic in the set that only appeared on blue and red cards called surge and it was generally a reduced cost for a spell and it would give you the ability to cast that spell for its surge cost if you or a teammate has cast another spell this turn and it's only shown up on like 10 cards. It was in Battle for Zendikar. And it's just a very weird place for this mechanic that really seems to want this two-headed giant kind of feel. Now, I, I think this has a great chance of being reprinted in a supplemental set like a Return to Battle Bond or in any really Commander Precon because that's where we seem to get these one-off cards focused on multiplayer formats. But it's, it's just a, a cost reduction, um, but in a really flavorful way. And so, again, I'm going to mostly think about this from the, the sort of promoting two-headed giant and those kind of like teamwork settings, because I think that's really cool. But you also can't forget that this does have the benefit of if you've played another spell this turn, you can play a surge spell at a reduced cost. One of my favorites and probably one of the most powerful is Crush of Tentacles, which normally costs six, but for surge, five. Uh, and return all non-land permanents to their owner's hand. If Crush of Tentacles Surge Cost was paid, put an 8-8 blue octopus creature token onto the battlefield. It did get a 4 on the Storm Scale, which is normally out of 10 when it was printed. So I'm hoping that means we see it, but I'm surprised we haven't seen it yet. I will say the amount of strictly like 
multiplayer kind of like basically like conspiracy and battle bond are really like the other only other yeah. kind of ones because the commander product obviously that's for a multiplayer format but none of those really have like those teaming up it's never like oh you're playing two-headed giant commander um right right you get the join forces and stuff but that's more like people together for this one individual event and moving on as opposed to you know working together overall exactly but so like for things like conspiracy and pretty much really just battle bond i will say they did do pretty good in terms of introducing other mechanics like i'm thinking like assist and those other Mm -hmm. stuff but they easily could have done surge in that and i think it would have been great so i don't know we all love battle bond and i'd love to see a battle bond 2 and a battle bond 3 i that's probably depending on how it sold and i don't think it sold great i think it sold pretty well actually i mean they yeah because a lot of people were interested in the new sort of design and battle bond partners with did that fine line between super awesome reprints and an interesting theme so it's still i think to this point still useful and fun to open battle bond packs even if you're not playing in that environment because there are a lot of cool abilities you got the partners with you got all that interesting stuff true well hopefully we see surge it'd be cool if once this whole pandemic stuff is back like assuming that actual pre-releases like slash fnm comes back it'd be cool if like one of the first sets that we get to do that was one of these uh like mm, a like a bfc kind up. of team up sort of thing just because people would actually be able to like really come together i feel like that would be really uh thematically nice just as like a humanity thing you know that'd be very fun we'll see yeah something i think um would be super cool is if if we brought back partners with like we saw in battle bond the first time but one of them had surge because i think the the flavor there of like you know, you've played one commander. If you're by yourself, you've played one commander. And then the next one, you know, you can play for this reduced cost because you played another spell this turn, essentially. Or if your teammate played a commander, then you can play this one too. And it's like, okay, both of our generals are going to the front of the line. It's kind of like an incentive to work together. Because I think that's a another big space of if you're going to have this ability that does have the text um, working with teammates, I think you could kind of go into that a little bit and maybe have effects that are more teammate focused. Maybe like that gives a spell assist, like an instant with a surge cost gives target spell assist and kind of lets you play those more like political games, but with teammates as opposed to in a larger scale. Yeah, I I really like the idea of like two commanders that are partnered together, both having surge costs or like having some specific cost related to like, oh, if you played the other commander, I have a reduced cost. I I don't know if you could actually do surge costs because I don't know if they're affected by the commander tax. Hmm. And so I think hmm. that might just mean that you could always play your commanders for next to nothing. But something to that effect of like, right, right. if you played my boy, I'm coming with him. <laughs> or even like, I'm, I'm even thinking of an enchantment. We have cloud key. We have other ones that are cost reducers. Imagine if you had a enchantment that was like called teamwork or, you know, something cooler than teamwork, but it makes all spells have a surge cost for one less than they were. Now that could get incredibly heinous, I think, with Storm, um, because if everything costs one less after you've played your first one, <laughs> that's chaos. I think you mean Grave so, Storm. But that doesn't mean I don't want to see it printed. <laughs> <laughs> I would I would I would play against that deck once. Exactly uh, one time. <laughs> I'd be like, wow, that's cool. Alright, ban that card. <laughs> uh well, alright, now I gotta say it. Like I think the perfect resource for that would be like Kineos and Tiro of Met. Etis to be like the the champions of like yo just vibe with your boys yeah <laughs> oh yeah that's true that's party a big on, vibe uh, theros oh they were partying anyway that's surge jeff who do you want to pass the mic to i was gonna say eric who's uh who, what else is going on on theros oh oh shit wait a second that ain't me but i'm <laughs> happy to theros. talk about oh, no, fuck. i'm sorry i i meant i meant i meant to say julian what else is going on on theros sorry Julian, what else is going on on Theros? Listen, bro, I'm feeling inspired. We've been talking about a lot of cool things. I actually am feeling inspired. Once again, this is why Wizards should hire us, because we just have amazing ideas. But uh, I think Inspired should come back, because this is just a sweet mechanic. Um, It was originally from the Theros block, and I think, like, original, original Theros block. And I think it was only Mm -hmm. in Born of the Gods and Journey to Nick. Let me me tell you all exactly what Inspired is, so that you can understand why I'm so hype. Uh, This is a... uh, if you have an inspired thing, it's basically whenever the inspired creature becomes untapped, some effect is triggered. So draw a card is one of them, like which is like just an overcosted flyer, uh, draws a card, or there's um swap target permanence. What? Swap target permanence. Uh yes, I think there's one that does that. Daring Thief. It was in my uh Zer deck for or not Zer deck, um Zedris? 
Zedru. 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 The oh, Great Heart. I played yep. it for about ten minutes. I forget everything about it. Yep. Uh, there's a one of my personal favorites, King Makar the Gold Curse. Whenever it becomes untapped, you may exile target creature, and if you do, you get a gold token. And also uh, a pretty pretty spicy one, Disciple of Deceit. Whenever it becomes untapped, you may discard a non-land card. And if you do, search your library for a card with the same covered in mana cost and put it to your hand. Oh, that's heinous. So, yeah, there's some pretty cool things. But I was talking earlier about with Oak about, you know, getting around Exert. I love doing tappy, untappy things. It's just a huge thing I'm, I'm a fan of. Inspire is just all about that. There's a lot of interesting ways to get your creatures to tap without untapping because a lot of these creatures with Inspired, they're not exactly the best. Like the one that I was telling you draws a card is literally a a 2-2 flyer for 5 mana. Uh, Not the best. Yeah, so a lot of times it's like we we don't want to actually have to attack. We want to protect our boys. So what are ways that we can tap them? Well, there's, you know, a bunch of things that say as an additional cost, tap this or uh, accruing vehicles. So there's a bunch of ways to do that. Or you can actually play cards that just tap things down or have like there's you know enchantments on that, your own creatures yeah, yeah. no that's yeah pressure point pressure point my own dude that's the <laughs> stuff right there yeah it's just there's a lot of cool cool things that you can do in terms of that there's like there's some like weird artifacts from kamigawa there's one that's like tap a creature in this and like add a mana there's one that's like tap a creature in this mill like mill a card from somebody it's uh it's it's cool what about the equipment from lorewind that has untap like untap this creature and pay some mana cost and uh... umbral mantle. Yeah, exactly. Well, that, that's I think there's a few of them, or maybe yeah, it... there's a whole cycle. Yeah, but like, yeah, that that'd be an interesting way to abuse it. <laughs> yeah, if you got the mana to do so, that would be pretty interesting. King everyone with King Makar. There's a lot of cool ways to abuse that because you can, you know, you can. Now we're talking like, okay, well, we want to be able to make sure we can tap our things properly. Um, or safely, I guess. Uh, but then, how can we get the maximum untap triggers? And you, yeah, I've actually completely even forgot about the the Shadowmore untap thing. But I was thinking like, oh, what if we just play with things like Seedborn Muse? So it's now like I'm getting an untap on everybody's turn. You know what I mean? Assuming I have a way to tap things down. Alternatively, Psychic Puppetry once again can untap your creatures as well. <laughs> well, so what you're saying is I should there should just be a rush on uh, Psychic Puppetry. Like I'm gonna just buy it out. Yeah, just buy that's, every that's copy of Psychic Puppetry you can find. Uh, this is not financial advice. Please don't do that. But anyway, Inspired is cool. Even though it's not a very complicated mechanic, it's a bit more thinky. It's not like, no offense, Oak, but it's not It's not like, I'm just going to attack. And then I'm going to do this extra thing. You know what I mean? Like, you have to put more work into it, basically. And I think even though the inspiration, that's really not the right word to use here, um, the uh idea behind the inspired mechanic was like oh the you're getting inspiration from the gods you're like a, a prophet or whatever um i feel like inspired is such a generic word that you can use it anywhere i'm i'm surprised that they didn't do something with it on kaladesh like you're an inventor and you're inspired considering that they had vehicles and stuff to like tap into you know to crew mm-hmm. i feel like that's a super easy inclusion but basically any sort of plane where you're doing any sort of like smart guy things I don't know why you wouldn't be able to have inspired or or even any sort of plane that has like a a religious connotation just because that's what it was in Theros. I, I feel like this is an easy reprint. Bring it back because there's some very interesting ones, but there's also some really bad ones. So like give me give me more to work with. I think it's also it's it's generic enough that you don't even need to have it keyworded because we've seen this thing recently where a lot of abilities that were keyworded previously are brought back as kind of limited mechanics in sets where they feature on the commons and uncommons and kind of give you an underlying theme. Um, I think we've seen it with like Ferocious and Formidable from um, Dragons and Cons of Tarkir. Yeah. Uh, on, I think in Ikoria, it showed up on a bunch like Creatures of Power for a Greater Matter. And I think we've seen a few cards where it's like they have untap abilities. So if you are thinking about like Inspired being a cool mechanic and something you want to build around as a deck or something like that, maybe even with King Makar at the front, make sure to look up the specific words of the ability as opposed to just the term inspired showing up on cards because you might find a few more examples. Now, I was also thinking, based on Julian bringing up inspired and Oak bringing up exert, the ultimate creature in Magic the Gathering would have both. He just untaps for two turns and then uh, you don't get that inspired for a while. (laughs) But when you do, it's draw two cards. Five mana flyer exerts... um, for no effect, and then untap for uh, <laughs> inspired for two cards. <laughs> All right, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna have you think about why what you said was actually horrible. Um, you really it's beautiful. You, you had the opportunity to make this a great thing, but um, you threw it away. 
Exert, draw a card, and untap two cards. And you threw th- you, three turns. You threw it away. Cycle. You threw it away. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, um, anyway. Eric, I'm assuming you have a, a second mechanic that you'd like to talk about. I do have a second mechanic <laughs> I would like to talk about, and no, I don't have a transition. Thank you for asking. I didn't either. That's why I said something generic. Eric, your favorite band is Clash at Demon Head, right? Uh, they are Yo. not my favorite de- band, but that is a good movie uh, and a good comic and a good video game. It's pretty much all the avenues you can receive Scott Pilgrim versus the world through are are, are good. Anyway, I'm going to talk about the Clash mechanic now. Uh, it originated on Lorwyn. It is featured on famous, famous cards such as uh, <laughs> Broken Ambitions, Recross the Paths, and Spring Cleaning. We got a good pun card in there. Don't forget, release the ants. Mm, is it classic. bad that I know what three of those four cards do? Yes. Uh, no, it's not. Uh, okay. Because it's a cool mechanic. So, the way Clash works is each clashing player reveals the top card of his or her library, then puts that card on the top or bottom. The player who wins the Clash has a higher converted mana cost, so if you tie, no one wins. Uh, most Clash cards only really care about if you win or not. They don't care if your opponent wins. Uh, your opponent doesn't get any benefits. You it is a gamble where you can either win or get nothing. You can't like lose anything off of it. I see why you like this just because you generally are playing a bunch of stupid eight and 10 mana cards. So you're like, well, clearly clash is just an amazing mechanic. I always win. Allow me to explain. I think this is a really cool mechanic that you have to consider at time of deck building. You have to look at your meta. You have to look at if you're pl- not playing in a pod and you're instead playing in like the broader, like, mtgo or mtg arena you have to look at like sort of that meta and say okay on average does my deck win a clash if so what clash cards could it use and i really like the idea of sort of how broad the idea of a clash can be like when it's on an instant or sorcery it it feels almost like you are clashing with like your opponent across the table as like dueling mages and then when your creature wins a clash it feels like it's sort of like it's sort of stepping to your opponent in that way. And I, I just really like the idea, like, thematically of what a clash means. And also, I think it I think it adds to deck building in a huge way in terms of, are these worth it? And it's not, like, an infinitely scaling mechanic. It's not like, oh, if one clash card is good in my deck, I should load it with clash cards. You can make a clash-themed deck where you've got, like, clash sort of on the bottom end because usually they're pretty low costed cards and then some top deck control and then a big bottom end but sometimes your deck just needs like one clash card and then it's it's good enough i like this in in like a sort of theme deck chev built that nath of the dire hunt deck that's like the fight club deck and i like this just because like this is now not only do my creatures fight you but my spells fight you as well you know what i mean my entire animate library to just fight you yeah exactly and sometimes my lands yeah <laughs> yeah unfortunately <laughs> well that's that's why it's perfect for eric you know 32 lands like he's less likely to draw one it's it's set up for clash exactly i also really like just the the ego boost of winning a clash especially on cards like spring cleaning which for those of you who are unaware one green and one instant destroy target enchantment clash with an opponent if you win destroy all their enchantments all opponents like not only so you all opponents oh yeah it's it's all three so in it's like you put the other person on a pedestal that's that's amazing that's brutal and to win that you just feel like a god i just love an edh you're like hey you playing the token deck fight me and then you beat them and then the Enchantress player off in the corner just gets decked across the fake ace for no reason. They had the name, no like, control. Spring Cleaning, too. That's that's honestly why we need to go back to Lorwyn. All the names are so innocuous. Just like, sweeping it away. Spring Cleaning obliterates the board. Release the <laughs> ants. Like, these are just fun names for cards. I think this is also a cool mechanic for Commander. And I think it could maybe come back in Commander. Probably not anything else. But I like the... Correct me if I'm wrong, Eric, because you're looking at the cards right now and I'm not, but... You can clash with any opponent, right? Yeah. So I could be like, I want to kill Oak's thing, but I also want the like ancillary clash benefit. And I know that you're playing an aggro deck, so I'm going to have a higher CMC so I can clash with you. Is that how that works? Yeah. So uh, spring cleaning is another great example here. Destroy target enchantment, clash with an opponent. So those don't have to be like clash with that enchantment's owner or anything. So you can target a deck that you know has low average CMC and hit someone else's enchantment even if they don't own it so that it's it's really cool in edh for that reason 
Yeah, I like that. There's also there's there's like a cycle of them too that um the clash is to return them to your hand. So it's almost like a a buyback. And we see like a bunch of different examples of how it's used, even with what they did with Lorwyn too, that like would be easy to build off of in different ways. Eric, what about synergies with my favorite card ever, Sensei's Divining Top? Yeah. So I mentioned it earlier when I was talking about deck construction, but top deck control loves Clash. And there are already a bunch of decks in a bunch of different formats that do this. Scrying is already powerful. Surveilling is already powerful. Seeing some more Clash cards that are really strong. I actually missed this one in my initial review, but shout out to Woodland Guidance, which is uh, a green and three. Return target card from your graveyard to your hand. Snooze. Boring. Put me asleep. Clash with an opponent. If you win, untap all forests you control. Now I'm paying attention. Like Remove Woodland Guidance from the game. <laughs> yes, you do remove it from the game, so you cannot just keep doing that. It's too strong. You know spells good. But uh, I really like that, that Clash effects can sort of have almost nothing to do with each other. Where it's like, yeah, here's a regrowth. Or like, yeah. <laughs> a regrowth and you untap all your mana. Or they can have everything to do with each other, where spring cleaning is just overload spring cleaning if you win the clash. This is a super cool mechanic. And again, it's another mechanic that involves a lot of decision making and involves a lot of thought and is complex in a cool way. Plus, think of how sick you could make an arena animation for Clash, Wizards. Just look at it. You got the cards that come up and they slam into each other. Like that terrible old Yu-Gi-Oh card game where fusion didn't make any sense. If anyone knows what I'm talking about, is that like PS2 Yu-Gi-Oh game. No one knows, and I'm just alone here. But <laughs> nope, it's... We, we don't know. Anyway. Eric, I've got another uh, mechanic for you that has to do with uh, manipulating the top of your library. Oh, uh, tell me about it. it. It's, it's very uh, kind of unintuitive uh, to think about. Uh, it is Explore. And another mechanic we saw from a recent set. If anyone's played against Jade Light Ranger in Historic, then you probably know what I'm talking about. Or a card I found uh, looking through Scryfall for cards with this ability, uh, Path of Discovery, which gives all your creatures Explore. Awesome. Mm. So it's it's definitely important to note it's not non-token. So uh, yes, use that how you will. Yes, it is a well-designed card, thankfully. So let me explain what this ability does because it's pretty complicated, and it kind of threw me off when it was first introduced because I was like, I don't know what's going on here. <laughs> Hold the phone. When you first were talking about your mechanics, you were like, Yeah, they're both super simple. Like we're gonna be good. No, this is super simple in, like, a lore perspective, and it's just, like, it's exploring. Like, it's, you could throw this in lore hold. We just had, you know, Zendikar, Zendikar. Rising. Yeah. yeah, that's it. Yeah. Uh, where it's just, like, that was all about exploring. Um, or, like, the next set that's going to be released, or that's standard legal, the, like, D&D-based set. I think a mm-hmm. lot of exploring tends to happen in, in It's one the, of the three pillars of D&D. Realms. Indeed, yes. Anyways, let's talk about how exploration works in Magic. Exploration is when a creature explores, it could be either a triggered ability like an ETB or an activated ability like on Deadeye Tracker, you get to look at the top card of your library. If it's a land, you take that card and put it into your hand. You also have to reveal it, that's that's important as well, so your opponent knows it's a land. Um, and if it is not a land, you get to choose whether to keep that card on top of your library or put it in your graveyard. And then your creature that explored gets a 1-1 counter on it. So, like, first of all, what's actually happening here from, like, a lore perspective? Um, here's kind of how I interpret it. When your creature explores, um, it goes exploring on in your library or looking, you know, at the top card. And if it's a land, great. If it found some new land, you get to draw that card. You put it in your hand. Awesome. If it's not a land, that means your creature ran into some adversity uh, while I was looking for these new lands, and um, it might have to, you know, do battle with that adversary. So, uh, maybe it kills it, which would be like if you put that uh, you know, spell or permanent or creature or whatever into your graveyard. Or maybe it just uh, escapes uh, where the creature just stays on top of your library. Or the, you know, the card just stays on top of your library. Um, either like way, when you're... you're in Pokemon and it runs away? Yes, exactly. It's like when you run away. Except... Oh. Um, when you run away, even in this, uh, you become more, your creature becomes more experienced, and it gets a 1-1 counter on it, which is nice. So, that, that's sort of my, uh, interpretation of that. So, uh, as you can tell by the, the length of this expo- explanation, uh, despite being a very simple mechanic lore-wise, it is very complex mechanic-wise, and is probably, or it, 
it's it's hard to understand at a glance, which I think would make it not very uh, like new player friendly. And so for a sort of like recurring effect or keyword, especially like an evergreen keyword, um, you would probably be looking for something that's a lot simpler, honestly, uh, than something like Explore. But regardless of that, I would love to see it printed in, in any number of future sets. I definitely agree with you, Oakley. I think it's cool, but certainly complicated in terms of, you know, what it can actually do. I didn't even know it had, like, surveil baked into it, too, um, with everything else. I thought you just could reveal but I had to stay. Yeah, right. Like, when I, when I was going through, like, this ability, uh, I, I was totally forgotten about the part. You just kept where, reading, and you're like, oh, yeah, Yeah, okay. where your creature gets a 1-1 counter <laughs> on it. I was just like, oh, yeah, I haven't been playing it against enough Explore decks and Historic, you know, like... Uh, keep forgetting those J Light Rangers are a four three for three, and you also get to fix the top two cards of your library. You know, it's pretty good. I I really liked Explore. That was probably the last time I was like really active in Standard, uh, and I I had like an Explore J Light Ranger deck, and I, I had a lot of fun with it because it was kind of dumb. But yeah, I I I think it's it's a really cool mechanic that has the ability to do a lot in terms of like it, it's not like Clash can like anything can follow the clash effect and splice costs are don't just have to be mana costs there's a bunch of different kinds of splice costs like one of them is give your opponent five life which is interesting whereas this is like super consistent like it it always does the same loop of things but because there's so much going on in that loop i think this is a really cool complex mechanic i would love to see again so i i, I agree with you for sure uh, just one more thing i want to say on this before we move on is that uh, I, I mentioned briefly, like, this could be could have been a great mechanic for the Lorehold College in Strixhaven, and I think this sort of goes along the same lines of a mechanic that could give cards with not as good uh, card advantage, uh, sort of like a little boost in that category without making it, like, an explicit just, like, draw cards. Just card advantage, like, with a twist. Like, sometimes it happens, and then, like, you know, these colors, like red and white, are also generally playing a lot of creatures, so you'll probably be happy for the 1-1 counter anyways. Yeah. I think actually my favorite part about Explore, um, and especially now that you're mentioning Lorehold, is that it puts it into your graveyard. So if you wanted to like really feel your graveyard, you, sh you could play a lot of things like this and just be like, well, you know, if I don't flip over a land, I'm just, just binning it. Just yeah. throw it in there. Awesome in there. So, well, Chev, I tried to I tried to segue earlier, and you you, you just you smacked me right in my face. You want to you wanna talk about this? You want to bring us home? Yes, to, to bookend our, our um, idea of discussing mechanics that we, we think we could see more, we started with a card from Future Sight that has one printing of the effect, and we're going to end with a card from Future Sight that has one printing of this mechanic. The mechanic I'm talking about is Fortify, and the best way to think about it is Equip for Lands. The one card that it's shown up on is Darksteel Garrison, an artifact for two, generic, um... Fortify for three, and it's exactly like you'd expect from Equip with Creatures. You Fortify as a sorcery, card comes into play unattached, and then you attach it to target land. Fortified land is indestructible, and then whenever Fortified land becomes tapped, target creature gets plus one, plus one until end of turn. So it's pretty it's pretty mild in terms of what, what this example of it does, but the sheer scope of what it could mean to equip artifacts that kind of modify lands really, really kind of spoke to me. And since this is an area that we haven't really explored at all, I was able to kind of, you know, come up with all these interesting ideas. But I, I think the, the best way to kind of think about this ability and somewhere that I, I believe it would work well in Magic is think of it like the, the involvement of building things on lands. Like you have your planes or you have your island and then something like Age of Empires or a city builder where you're putting structures on them. Like maybe you're building a temple or a garrison um, or, you know, all these structures that are good for a civilization and then you can use the effects that this gives them i just always liken this to monopoly when you like you know you, you buy your properties and you put like the little houses on them and you put the hotels on them so you're like oh give me that extra rent you know you could even do like a <laughs> you could have like a like one that's like a toll and it's like a ghostly prison effect so it's like you gotta you gotta come come pay pay the toll at the toll booth that's on my mountain you know <laughs> You've got to pay the troll toll? Is that what you're trying to say? That's yeah. exactly Kazool, what I'm trying to say. Kazool EDH. <laughs> I, I actually really like this idea. And as soon as I saw this card, my brain immediately went to like, hold on, there's so many cards that should just work this way. Like Hanweir Garrison, Gavany Township. A lot of the things where it's like, oh, people built this and this is this is no longer a land to the point where it doesn't make like colored mana. 
Right, right. It's it's been so industrialized, and I think like that that kind of speaks to it. We've seen in recent years specifically like a lot of new abilities given to creatures with the equip, and the same thing could be done done for lands. And it also gives this idea that like okay, the land that was holding this garrison or the Hanwar battlements was destroyed, but we will rebuild and we will kind of like bring it back and maybe it's somewhere slightly different, but you know, it still has some of the same characteristics. And so I was kind of jumping off this, like all the different ways, because instead of just giving characteristics to a land, we could even change the way the land functions because lands are such a fundamental part of magic, tap, give mana, do something else. Um, we can really give abilities to these lands instead that kind of alter them in ways that are are more interesting. Like maybe maybe we can um, fortify a land to make it tribal. Like you take a forest and you give it a sort of like elven hideout and then it taps for its green still, but taps for two um, to play an elven spell. Um, or, you know, something like Urza where you build all the right structures of a, a city and now they can tap for a larger amount of mana. But, you know, they require the investment of equipping these lands or fortifying these lands with these structures. And something that I thought was kind of like a really interesting take on the dual land cycles that are kind of a key to a lot of magic sets is like we saw, I think it's Paradise Mantle from one of the, the Mirrodin yeah. ones. It's like a, a zero mana equipment and an equip cost gives creature tap for colorless. Maybe we have these, these zero mana artifacts where the equip cost or the fortify cost is is two life. And then, you know, each one is of a different type of mana that you're kind of building into this land. So you have a forest that exists, and now you're playing this thing that, you know, builds structures on top of mounds or mountains. And now, you know, it can tap for a green or red, but you still have the life loss. And it will cause you life again to give this dual property to something else. So there's a lot, like, when, you, when you're getting into the space of creating more mana, even before you get to, like, activated abilities... Um, you can really take some interesting steps into what your mana base looks like and kind of take it into this level where you're building cities. Um, and I think I think Fortify could be reintroduced really anywhere with this, you know, we see equipment everywhere, but really specifically it would be super cool in a, a plane like on the cusp of civilization. Like you, you go back to the, the fundamentals of magic where you have five different tribes or colors doing something and then it becomes a race with your opponent to see like who can civilize first right like who can build the structures that create a city out of your mana or you know a a town that gives your stuff the the right stuff and stuff the right stuff beautiful sentence <laughs> um gives your creatures or your your ability to play bigger and better spells because you've put in the resources to create a land base and i think i think there's just a lot of really cool space because it is such an underdeveloped concept and it could very easily be made in a non-destructive way trev i I actually love that. I love the idea of building out your lands, uh, especially with the idea of like, we're not just going to play command tower. Like we have to play these basic lands. So we're going to like build them out into, I, I think the the thing that like is unfortunate is that I feel like magic doing that sort of thing is too resource intensive. It's almost like that should be like mm -hmm. its own separate game. You know what I mean? Taking the time to like build your hotel or your garrison or whatever, and then put it on and then like build up your city I feel like in the meantime, Oak's over there and he's just like one drop, two drop, three drop, lightning mm -hmm. bolt you, lightning bolt you, you know, you're dead. Two drop, three drop, three four drop. Yeah, exactly. I, think, I think it would work best kind of like we saw the runes from Kaldheim, where if you guys recall, the runes could be placed on, I think, any permanent. And when they came in, you had the draw card ability and then they gave more stuff. Um, so because, you know, magic is a fast paced game, you're right. I think an effect like Darksteel Citadel, where it costs two to play, does nothing on the battlefield, costs three to fortify, would not work. But I think things that cost either different types of resource to fortify, like the idea of paying life to instantly kind of get that equipped benefit. Tapping creatures because they can build the land. Mm -hmm. Yeah, cool. yeah, something like that. Or even, you know, they enter the battlefield and like everyone's favorite Embercleave, when they enter the battlefield initially, they automatically equip or fortify. And so then, you know, it costs resources the second time around. But given the the lack of land destruction maybe you'd have to play that up a little bit in a set that features these fortifications in fact you probably would but i think there's a lot of benefit to having that initial right we built it the first time for free but it takes us time to rebuild it if it's destroyed and really playing into kind of the the more niche space of using your creatures using your life using other things that can kind of build up these structures besides just base mana because you're right oak would come in with a couple goblins and poke you in the face before you have time to build your whole encampment goblins don't have buildings brother they just hide out in the caves but um i love the idea 
kind of a final question just to round this out. How do you think we see this implemented? Do you think we see this in a, in a, a normal sort of set where it's like there's a good amount of support in like cards that do this? Is this going to be like a key sort of theme in a set? Or do you think this is just going to be like a, we get little, you know, pepperings of it here and there? I think we'd have to see it as a, a full theme in a set. Because like we see in sets that focus on artifacts and stuff, we can we can port a lot of those designs over for fortify very easily. Cards that make fortify cost less, or you know, a Sigardia's aid for fortifications. And we'd really for this mechanic to work, um, like the point you brought up, because magic is such a fast-paced game, you'd need the support from it in the creatures that care about equip or fortified lands or make the cost less or allow you to destroy fortified lands. Because if we just saw kind of one-off every once in a while, I think the effect would really die out or wouldn't be seen as a good use of mana. I think it'd be great as a uh, build-around mechanic for, like, a certain faction. Like, for example, the humans mm. on Ikoria are, like, kind of trying to, like, build their civilization to, like, while these, like, giant beasts are trying to tear it down. Yeah, it'd be awesome. You know, like, General Kudro in there, whatever his name was, trying to... He, he actually looks like Mr. Monopoly, so, like, <laughs> that's actually perfect. <laughs> um, that's great. And I love the idea of a Voltron land, yeah. where you've just fortified it to the, like, the ends of the Earth. Like, this thing is, you know, it's a mountain, a forest, and it has, like, an entire city on top. I think that's the equivalent of having, like, Emrakul with some boots on <laughs> Yeah, I, I really thought of that. It's like an interesting thing. As soon as we got a little deeper, I was like, wait a second. What if you just put all of your fortifications on one land? The sinkhole. The sinkholes. <laughs> then you play your Awaken all. spell, and you just all of a sudden have like a 2020. Yo, that would be cool. <laughs> the effects of it with Awaken, that would be pretty yeah. sweet. What's that one Ghibli movie? The Howl's Moving Castle. Castle. Howl's there Moving Castle. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that one of the most interesting things you touched on was alternate costs for fortifying as a solution for sort of its glacial nature. Like, okay, sure, you're going to play a land every turn. Then you're going to play these artifacts that do nothing until you equip them to a land. Exactly. Solving that problem with these alternate costs, as I pitched two mechanics that had sort of all these weird, like, wacky things that you do under the right circumstances, I think that would be just really strong, especially if you had to set up the right circumstances where it was like, oh, like, if your opponent is ahead of you in lands, uh, when you play this, you can fortify for free. Or, you know, if your opponent has, like, three or more creatures on the board, when you play this, you can fortify for free. And it can be that sort of toll booth, or it can be, like, like a battlement with defensive cannons, and it's, like, deal two to an attacking creature. So that you can get that sort of, okay, if your opponent is playing really aggressively and trying to get really far ahead of you, there are answers to that in the strategy of fortifying. I think it could also be a way to bring back some of these more broken effects um, that we've seen in old lands where it's like they're on an artifact. So they're much easier to kill than a land itself. And then we throw it on a, a land. Caracas? So it's like it's an added benefit. Caracas? <laughs> that's much easier to take care of or even like to bring back the abilities on the lands that didn't tap for mana and could be like static effects on lands or those sort of things too, where it gives you those benefits cost a little bit more but then you're not running these lands in your deck that do nothing. Well, um, awkward silences, am I right? Uh, well, I mean, I, I think that you can just sort of take us home here. I, I think we've all set our piece on our mechanics, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we talked about, what, two apiece, four people, eight mechanics that could use some love, but I mean, there's really nearly an infinite amount. I think there's a lot of uh, mechanics that could easily be brought back and are interesting and worth exploring. I also think there are a bunch that are not and are trash, but um, you know, I'm trying to be optimistic, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, if you were liked any of the things we talked about and maybe didn't consider them in a certain way, definitely throw those packages or build them into your decks. Or in the case of Gravestorm and Fortify, pray that wizards... <laughs> I don't know what would have to happen at Wizards for them to be like, yeah, we're going to need to do the a... Fortify uh, Gravestorm set. Let's yeah, go. Yeah, we're like just back to back. They're just like, boom. We're building stuff and then we're... Tearing it down. it up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Fortify is yeah. only an eight on the uh, the storm scale. Oh, easy. What is Gravestorm, though? I think Snow was like a ten last I checked. So uh, we got we got... 
We got space. Snow is currently at a seven and has been at a seven. So mm. uh, we're not that far away. We're very close. You're saying there's a chance. I'm saying there's a freaking chance. Dude, isn't ten- Storm is like a 10, and they functionally reprinted Storm in Strixhaven. So anything's possible as far as I'm concerned. But anyway, everyone listening should reach out to us uh, either at hexdrinkers at gmail.com or at hexdrinkers on Twitter or at hexdrinkers on Instagram and tell us their favorite unloved mechanic. Maybe it's the one of the ones that we talked about. Maybe it's uh, another one, but just tell us what's up. Tell us, you know, maybe your favorite card that has kind of an obscure mechanic. We'd love to talk about that with you. We'd love to maybe even brew a deck. Uh, if you guys listened, we did our first deck with uh, one of our listeners. So that offer still stands. Send us that email. We'll be getting in. So you should reach out to us there or just with anything else you want to talk about. We're uh, we're active on the Twitterverse, so we're, we're talking about things that are happening. If you want to see us doing any sort of video content as opposed to just uh, hearing our lovely voices, check us out on Twitch. Check us out on YouTube. We are now... Um, in phase one of making an actor active effort to really kind of bolster up our content there. Eric actually just did a stream a little bit ago. Maybe you guys tuned into that. If you did, that's sweet. If not, there should, should be, be streams every Monday. Cause I was going to do every other. And I thought someone else said they were going to pick up every other, right? We, we haven't finalized the schedule, but we should be putting out some sort of video content every week um, in terms of both st- actually streaming. And also a lot of times that will either go to YouTube as the full, uh, like archive or as maybe like a nice highlighted game that's done up a bit more um, as well as uh, maybe some just strictly curated video content. I know I'm going to try and do some drafts. Uh, Strixhaven has been looking pretty fun so far, so that'll be coming through. Um, If you want to see written content, head on over to our website at hexdrinkers.com. You can also find video content in this podcast there, but that's where we do all of our articles. So check us out there as well. Boys, did I forget anything? Have a nice day. Have a good night, y'all. You're freaking right. Have a nice day. Oak's ready to call it. (laughs) Yeah, Oak's tired. Hey, listen. Nope, nothing. Goodbye. (laughs) I think we're all tired. So anyway, uh, this has been Jules for Eric, Oak, and Chev. We're the Hex Shrinkers, and we're signing out. (laughs) 